With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Nundal, page 54. We left off kind of in the middle of a piece, not kind of, very much in the middle of a piece. We're going to back up about four lines to the bottom of Nungil Mulam the last words. Hasam Kedektani Taima, Omer Meir, Reb Meir said, Why did Rabbi Meir say that in regards to someone who planted a tree on Shabbos? So if he did it unintentionally, he can leave it there. But if he did it intentionally, he, he must uproot it. And if we're talking about Shemitah, Whether you did it intentionally or unintentionally, it must be uprooted no matter what. Because we said that a person usually counts off the years to Shemitah because he has to figure out exactly how many years, how long it's been since this tree has been planted. So he'll always be counting back and ending up thinking that the first year was Shemitah and he'll think that it's okay to plant a tree in Shemitah. But when a person counts, he doesn't usually count back days. That's not something that he counts. So therefore, by Shabbos, we say if he did Beshagig, it's okay. And not, but on Shemitah, we don't allow him to, to leave it there. Another explanation. So Jews were afraid that they're going to do something wrong in regards to Shemitah. But we're not afraid that they're going to do something wrong in regards to Shabbos. So therefore, we're not afraid that in the future, they might think that it's okay to plan on Shabbos. No one will ever make that mistake. But for Shemitah, we're afraid that people will not be aware and they'll think that it's okay to plant a tree in Shemitah. Now, the Gemara wants to know, my davar acher, why did he give a second explanation? What was wrong with the first explanation? This is what he means. If you want to say that there are times when the 30th day falls out on Shabbos, meaning like this. Let's say he went and he, and he planted right before Shemitah. So the halacha is, as long as you've done it 30 days before, it's not considered that you planted it in Shemitah. So now, if let's say, Rashi explains this, if let's say you had that that 30th day before was Shabbos, so you'll always have to be counting every subsequent year in order to figure out when it was. You'll always say, oh, it was 30 days before Shemitah. 30 days before Shemitah was a Shabbos. And that's how you're going to get your first year. So every single time you're going to always remember, you're always going to mention the this day of Shabbos. And you might come to think that it's okay to plant uh, some kind of some kind of plantling on Shabbos. Because if he had planted it on that day, let's say it was Shabbos the 30th day before, so then it's considered a full year. And if he hadn't, if he had done it closer to Shemitah, it's considered that he did it in the year of Shemitah. So being that that's the case, you do indeed count sometimes to the day. So therefore, the first answer is not a good enough answer. That's why we have to give the second answer. The reason that we're makbid, we're, we're more stringent in regards to Shemitah is because people, Jews are not as careful, unfortunately, with Shemitah. But in regards to Shabbos, people are definitely much more careful. Now the Gemara goes into Rabbi Yehuda's Shemitah, where he said in this Brisa that in regards to Shemitah, so if you did it unintentionally, you planted this tree unintentionally, so you can leave it there. But if you did it intentionally, then you have to uproot it. But in regards to Shabbos, he said whether it was unintentional or intentional, you have to uproot it. So what's how do we explain this stira, this contradiction in Rabbi Yehuda? So the Rabbi Yehuda, the Rabbi Yehuda Kasha, that's not a problem. But Asay the Rabbi Yehuda Chamir because in the place of Rabbi Yehuda where he lived, so people were much more careful about Shemitah and Therefore, it was okay, Rabbi Yehuda allowed it, that if it was done unintentionally, if someone unintentionally planted during Shemitah, not realizing perhaps that it was Shemitah, so then he allowed them to leave it there. Since everyone was really mocked, we're not afraid that something bad is going to come out of it in the future. 
And we know that this, this is true. There was a certain person who said to his friend in Rabbi Yehuda's area, He insulted him by saying, You're a ger, the son of a ger. And I saw a pshat, the article brings down, that uh, what he was saying was, it was a, a truly big insult, because he was saying, you, not, only, not only don't you have yichus, that you don't have, you're not, a, you're not from a Jew, but even though you, you converted, so the conversion that you did, it was your mother really who converted, and therefore you didn't even do it of your own accord, and therefore any maila, any advantage that you would have of being a ger, you also don't have. So the response was, He he gave him back a real insult. He said, I don't eat fruits of Shemitah like you, meaning I'm careful about Shemitah fruits and you're not. So the Ger was saying, I'm better than you. But the point of the whole story is that we see that Shemitah was something that was very chashuv. You wanted to give someone a big insult, so you said something which was that they weren't careful about Shemitah. Now let's give us a little bit of a reminder of what happened at the beginning of this sugya so we can continue with with better understanding. What we said at the very beginning of the sugya was that Rabbi Meir said that in the cases of our Mishnah, of Metama, Medama, and Menasech, those were three cases where a person causes some kind of hezek, some kind of damage, that's not clear. So we said that according to Rabbi Meir, whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally, you're chayv, you're obligated. And we explain that the reason is, everyone agrees that when you do a hezek in a nikr, if you can't see the hezek, the damage that you cause, it's not considered a hezek. It's not considered that you've damaged. So why did Rabbi Meir say that you're chayv, that you have to pay? And we said the reason is because he holds, everyone agrees, and Rabbi Huda also agrees, that in regards to something which is done by mezid, if it was done intentionally, so we want to make sure that people don't go around causing damages even if you can't see them. So we said, amazing if you did it intentionally, you're chayv, you have to, you're obligated to pay. So we said, according to Rabbi Meir, that even if we're talking about a case that was done unintentionally, you also have to be, you also have to pay, because we make a zera of the unintentional case because of the intentional case. So now we're going to bring a brisa, and we're going to show that Rabbi Meir, in fact, is, it's talking about a derabanan, it's talking about a case which is rabbinic, just like our Mishnah, and it's talking about a case where it was done bishogig, and nevertheless we see that Rabbi Meir says that you do not uh, have an obligation to pay. So Toshima. Let's see this. It says like this. If let's say someone went and they ate some food that belongs to a Kohen, we're talking about Truma, and it was something that was tame, which means that the Kohen couldn't eat it himself. So what does he do? The person who took this food, he has to go and Mishalem Chulin Taharin. So he has to pay back with regular stuff that's pure. So despite the fact that the thing that he damaged was impure and it was truma, he has to pay back with chul and tahorin. And what happens is, Rashi explains, is that when the guy gets it, when the when the Kohen gets it, so it becomes truma, it goes in place of what the guy ate, it becomes truma, it has the holiness of truma, and it's tahor, it's pure. Now, shilem chul and let's say the person instead, he paid with something which is regular stuff, not truma, not holy, but it was tummy, it was impure. Thus the person who, the, the Kohen cannot eat this food. Mahu, what would be the halacha? Amar Sumcha, Sumcha says, Mishim Rabbi Meir, in the name of Rabbi Meir, Bishagik, if it was done unintentionally, meaning he paid him, he thought that it was okay to pay with this thing. Tashlum of Tashlumin. So, it's fine. If he did it already, it's done. Because, as Rashi explains, when he paid it, so he, he didn't think that he was doing anything wrong, and really, he's, and the guy ends up, what does the guy end up getting? The, the Kohen, he ends up that the Chulin becomes Truma, the unholy stuff becomes holy, and it becomes Tameh, which is exactly what the guy took in the first place, what this regular Jew took from the Kohen in the first place. So therefore, if he did it unintentionally, so it's not a problem. But Mezid, however, if he did it intentionally, ain't tashlum of tashlumen. So then the payment that he made is not a good payment. And we make him have to pay again. 
So thus we see in Rabbi Meir that in a case where a person did it by accident, you're going to be potter, but if you, if you did it intentionally, you're chayv, and we don't make this gezerah, we don't make any kind of decree in a case of unintentional because of a case of intentional. That's what we're trying to show. Let's just finish off the bride. Whatever case we're talking about, whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally, it's okay. Basically, Rashi explains that if you paid it off with the, with this thing you're not supposed to pay it off with, so it becomes truma, becomes truma temeya, becomes impure truma, Cohen stuff, and he has to pay again with something which is in, which is indeed pure. So the bottom line is, according to the Chachamim, so despite the fact that maybe it's considered that it's now transferred into the Rishos, to the ownership of the Kohen, nevertheless, you haven't cons- it's not considered that you paid, whether Bishogi, whether Bimezid, you have to make sure to make restitution with stuff that's pure. So now the Gemara says, V'amar of Achabreder of Ika, Rav Achabreder of Ika says like this, The argument here, in the case of Shogig, in the case where you did it unintentionally, the argument has to do with whether or not we make a knas, a fine, in the case of Shogig, where you did it unintentionally, because of a case that you might end up doing it even intentionally. The Rameyer suffer, Rameyer holds like Hansu Shogig. Rameyer here says that we do not make a knas, we do not make a fine if you did it unintentionally, because of a case that you might end up doing it intentionally. But the Chacham do. So so we see again a stira between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Meir. And this is a Dirabanan case. So my answer is Hachi Hashta. It's not a good comparison. So we are not going to go according to Rabbi Meir in that case and make some kind of knas because you know what? This guy, he meant to pay. He meant to do the right thing. He didn't realize that the stuff that he was paying with was tame and he didn't find out until afterwards. So we're not going to make a fine on this guy. So we're going to get up and fine him when he's trying to do what's right? No. But in our case, in the case of the Mishnah, where you have Metama, Medama, and Menasek, those three cases where he's, he's playing with fire already. He's messing around. He's doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing. So they were going to make fines to prevent them from, from messing up in the future. The Gemara continues, Tashima. Let's bring another possible proof. Dom Shanitma, you have some kind of blood that became impure. So Lechatchila, you know, you're not really supposed to use it to sprinkle on the Mizbeach in, in the Avodah as part of the service for, on the altar. Vizarka Bishagi, let's say he sprinkled it though unintentionally. So it's okay, because mid arise from the Torah, it's okay. But mezid However, the rabbi said if you did it intentionally, you use this blood which was impure, so then it doesn't work. So what do we see? We see in this case that if it's done by shogeg, we don't make a gzera of shogeg alts mezid. So Rimeir will respond and say, I can fit into this, it's not a problem. What's the case over there? Hasam gavr kipur the guy is trying to help the person who's coming to bring his korban, to bring his sacrifice in order to have some kind of atonement. Meaning he's not trying to do something evil, he's trying to do something good, he's trying to do something helpful, and we're going to fine him. Toshima. We'll try to bring another proof. Somebody takes off the tithes on Shabbos in order to be able to eat something. If he did it unintentionally, so he's allowed to eat. Because again, this is something that we're not allowed to do. From the Torah, you are allowed to do. So in this case, we say, if it was unintentionally, he took off the tithes, so then he's allowed to eat that food. However, if it was done intentionally, you can't. So again, here we see that you do not make a you don't make a decree in a case of unintentional that you might come to do it intentionally. So the Gemara says, What's the comparison? Again, the guy is trying to do something positive. We're going to come and make a fine on him. He's trying to do something good. And, and he happened to do it in the wrong time. He did it on Shabbos. We're not going to make a fine on such a person. Toshima. The Gemara continues. Another proof. If someone goes to the mikvah with his 
uh, utensils. He wants to use his new forks, his new cups, whatever. And, and it comes Shabbos, he realizes he didn't do it yet. He didn't bring it to the mikvah. So if he did it unintentionally, he didn't realize it was Shabbos, so he's allowed to use that. Amazed it, or if he did it intentionally, he can't use it. Again, we see, we don't make this decree in an unintentional case for that you might come to do it intentionally. How is that a good comparison? This guy is trying to purify his vessels. I don't like what they're going to say. We're going to come in and give him some kind of fine. We're not going to do that in a case where he's trying to do something positive. Only if the thing that he's trying to do is something completely negative. So now we have a contradiction between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Huda. In a case of rabbinic halacha. The time we learned in a brisa, we turn to Nandalar Mebez. Naflu nispatsu. If you have a case of some kind of egozim, these are nuts that they're orla. They're from the they're fruits of a tree that have not yet has not yet reached its fourth year. So you're not allowed to eat those fruits. You're not allowed to eat these nuts. So what happens? This egos, this nut gets mixed in with a whole bunch of other nuts that are fine. So now what happens to all of them? So Rashi explains that if it had not broken yet, so then it's not bottle, it's not nullified, and they're all problematic. However, if it broke as, as it was on its way in, so it's no longer considered something important since it's broken, and therefore, it's, that, that's where our price comes into play. Let's see what it says. Echad echad mezid ya'alu. Whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally, Rabbi Meir is going to say, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, both Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda say that in either event, whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally, you can't use the whole entire thing. You've lost out. However, Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Shimon say, If it was done unintentionally, you can take it out, and you can use the rest. However, if it was done intentionally, so then you can't take it out. When we say take it out, I believe, from what I understand from Rashi, that it means that if you have over 200 times the amount as compared to this amount of nuts, meaning you put in one nut and there's 200 more nuts, so then it becomes bottle nullified. That's called ya'alu, it comes out, meaning we don't consider it. Now, what do we see from here? In our case, if we're talking about as regards to what the Torah holds, even if you have one and you have two next to it, so it's completely nullified. Because you have a concept of uh, if you have a smaller amount, it becomes nullified when there's more. So the rabbis are the ones who said that we make a decree and if you don't have 200 to 1, then the rabbis said that it's not considered bottle, it's not considered nullified. So but so what do we see? We're talking about something rabbinic, and we see that Rabbi Yehuda is saying that whether we're talking about the case where it was done unintentionally or the case where it was done intentionally, either way, Rabbi Yehuda says that rabbinically this is a problem. So what we see is, this is a steer, this is a contradiction to what Rabbi Yehuda said earlier, because earlier he said if we're talking about something that's rabbinic, only in a case where it's done intentionally do we make any kind of fine, any kind of kanas. So the Gemara answers, The reason that Rabbi Yehuda says over there in that case of the nut that we're going to have a problem whether or not it was done intentionally or unintentionally is because we're afraid that if he indeed did it and he did it intentionally and we allow it to be okay when he does it unintentionally, it could be that he did it intentionally and he's going to claim that he did it unintentionally to get out of it. He's going to lie to us. So we want to prevent that. So we say no matter what, by the case of the nuts, you can't get out of it, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. 
So now, this Rebiyosi that we just mentioned in the second part of the Brisa that we just mentioned, so it's going to be a steer, it's going to be a contradiction to another Rebiyosi. At the time we have in the Mishnah, if you have some kind of plantling, which is Orla, which has not yet passed its third year, or it's in the fourth year, that it was mixed up with other plantlings, so you don't know which one is the one that's Orla, which one is the one that's forbidden, that you can't eat the fruits from it. So in this case, you can't take the fruits off of this tree because the fruits are not bottled, they're not nullified in regards to everything else. Let's say you did take the fruits off of that tree. So if you have 200 times the amount of what you took from that tree, and it's going to become nullified amongst the other ones, the ones that are okay. As long as when you did it originally, you didn't you didn't realize that you were taking from the forbidden tree. So as long as you didn't realize originally, and then it was, you have 200 times the amount of the other stuff, so then it's going to become butthole nullified, and you're going to be able to eat it. Rabbi Yossi, I mean, Rabbi Yossi says, that even if you intentionally go, and you take from this tree that has orla, and you have 200 times the amount of other fruits, it becomes nullified. So here we see that Rabbi Yossi says, that it's completely fine. You can even do it, even b'shogeg, b'mezid, whatever you want, you can do it. Whereas in the first brasa, he said only b'shogeg, only if it's done unintentionally, is it okay? But if you did it intentionally, it's not okay. So what's the pshat? What's the explanation? So we say that it says about this in a memra, says, You know why it's okay over here? Because like this, we have a concept, Rashi explains that we have a concept that a person never would place a tree of orla inside of his field. It's not a common thing to do. Who wants to make his whole entire field to be problematic? So a person would never take a tree that's orla, that hasn't passed its third year, and place it inside of his field. And also, ki also Ravin or when Ravin came, he said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, We have a Chazaka. It's well known that a person would never try, intentionally go and make his whole entire field ruined by placing in its uh, tree that's Orla tree. So what's the point of all this? Rashi explains that once we know that, that that is true, so when the rabbis made their takana, when they said that in general we're going to make you chayev and you're not going to be able to get out of such a case, when did they say it? Only in a regular case. If it's a regular case, then fine. But this case is something which is totally abnormal. No one does this in their right mind. So since that's true, so according to Rabbi Yaisi, so the rabbis did not make their takana, and didn't, even if you did it bemezid, even if you did it intentionally, that you went and you took the fruits from that tree and you mixed them up with other things, it's still going to be nullified. Because the rabbis are not going to make their gzera, make their decree, which is going to make it a problem in a case which is uncommon. Now we begin the Mishnah. If you have a Kohen who thinks a bad thought about the sacrifice he's bringing inside of the temple, and he ruins the sacrifice, and if he did it intentionally, so he's obligated to pay the owners, he has to pay for what it, the damage that he caused. We learned in Ebraisa. Let's say someone was working for you, and he was working on your fruits that are pure. And he said that the, the pure things that I was working on for you, so they became impure. Let's say someone was working for you, involving, involving himself in your sacrifice. And he says, the sacrifices that I was involved in, involved in, so they became no good anymore. Naaman, he's believed. Let's say he says that the your pure things that I was working on, your pure fruits, and I was working on it in such and such a day last week on Tuesday. 
they became impure. And the sacrifices that I was working on for you on such and such a day, they became no good anymore. Then he's not believed. If he's talking about something that he did today or that he's involved in right now, he's believed. But if it's something that happened previously, he's not believed. What's the difference between the two cases? Abai explains, Abai says that the reason is that since he could right now theoretically make them impure or ruin the sacrifices, so therefore he's believed right now to say that something happened already. However, something that happened last week, so it's not no longer biyado, it's not something that he could affect right now. So therefore he doesn't have a migu, he doesn't have this thing, that this concept that says that since he's believed to say this, he's believed to say this. Rava Amma, Rava gives it an alternate explanation. Going to Ashkechei, that the case is talking about where they met each other, Loi Midi, and he hadn't said anything to him in their previous meeting. And then they met again, and all of a sudden the guy tells him what happened. So since he waited to tell him, clearly this didn't really happen, because if, he, if it really did happen, he would have told him on the first meeting. There was a certain guy who says to his friend, This exact case, he says that the, I was handling your pure fruits on a certain day, last week on Tuesday, and they became impure. They came in front of Rabbi Ami. Amarle said to them, Allah is he's not believed. Rabbi Asi, Rabbi Asi said in front of him, Rabbi Rabbi, you say this. However, Rabbi said differently, in the name of Rabbi what can I do? Because we see that the Torah does in fact believe someone after the fact, even though it's no longer Biodo. Where do we see that he is indeed believed after the fact? Rabbi says like this, a high priest, on Yom Kippur, we're going to prove it from there, that if he says that something is pigle, that something that he did something wrong, he had the wrong thoughts on one of the sacrifices, he's going to believe. And how can we possibly know this? No one's allowed to be there except for the Kohen during his high holiday service. Only he's the only one allowed to be there. The only way is because he's believed. And he's believed after the fact. So it's clear that in fact a person can be believed after the fact. So the Gemara says, wait, perhaps we know in a different way. Maybe we heard him saying that he made a pigle, and that's how we can believe him. So, meaning, we were standing outside of the court, or outside of the Beis Hamikdash, outside of the temple where he was doing his service, and we heard him say, I'm, he's heard him say whatever it is that ruined the sacrifice. So the Gemara says, The only way that he could be believed if you heard him even, for all you know, he said that after he actually had those thoughts, meaning it could be he said that when he wasn't even involved in the sacrifice, the only way we would know that he actually said that while he was involved with the sacrifice is only if we would believe him, because we can't see him. So therefore, if we believe him to say that he said that at the same time that he was sacrificing, so we can also believe him to say that he thought it even without him saying it. So again, it's a proof that he will be believed after the fact for something that he did previously. To deal with the Basar Hakikamar, because this is something that I explained already, perhaps he was speaking afterwards, he spoke after he had actually done the pickle, after he had already ruined the sacrifice. The Gemara says, maybe no, maybe you could actually see the guy, because there are little holes, little uh, places that are an entrance on this, on either side of the Azara, of the courtyard, where it's possible to see in. So the Gemara says, Kasha. That's a good question. There was a certain person who came in front of Rabbi Ami, Amar Lay, and he said to him, He said, I wrote this 
Torah scroll for a certain person, and whenever I wrote God's name, I did not write it with the right intention. And that's a big problem because now the whole Sefer Torah is going to be puzzled, it's going to be no good. Amar Lei, Sefer Torah me. So he says to him, who has the Torah right now? Amar Lei, Biad Lekech. He says, it's already in the hands of the one who I sold it to. Amar Lei, so he responded and said like this, You're only believed if you haven't been paid yet. You're not believed if you've been paid already to ruin the Torah. Amar Lei, Rabbi Yirmiya. So Rabbi Yirmiya said to him, So we understand that he should lose out on the payment for all of the names of Hashem. Does he lose out on the payment for the rest of the Torah? He wrote the whole, the rest of the Torah was written fine. There was no problems with anything else. And, and his assumption is that therefore the whole Torah should be okay and you should be able to write over the names of Hashem. Amar Lei, in he says yes. Recall Sefer Torah Sheinaz Karish Shalik Suvis Lishman. Any Torah scroll that the names were not written with the right intentions, Eina Shavaklum. It's not worth anything. So Gemara says, wait, Vili Avra Alai Kumis Vili Kadshe. Why can't you write over all of the names of Hashem and have the right intentions in mind, and then it should be okay? Kiman. So Gemara says, who would that be like? Name of the like Rabbi Yehuda. This should be not like Rabbi Yehuda if we say that it's no good. Ditnan because when the Mishnah Hari Shahiyat Sarich Lichtavus Hashem. If he meant to write Hashem's name, he was. I'm sorry, he was supposed to write Hashem's name. But in his mind, he was thinking, I'm writing the name Yehuda with a Dalit. So he's supposed to write Hashem's name, which is Yudke Vavke. And instead, he thought in his mind to write Yehuda. But he left out the Dalit and he ended up writing the correct thing, which was Hashem's name. So he didn't have the right intention in mind, but he wrote Hashem's name. So what does he do? So he writes it over and he thinks the right thoughts in his head, and it's okay. That's the words of Rabbi and the Chacham say, "Ein Hashem min hamufchor." That's not a good name of Hashem. So the Gemara says, "So who are we going like? It's only like the Chacham, not like Rabbi Yehuda." The Gemara says, "Afilu tamer Rabbi Yehuda." We could even say that it's Rabbi Yehuda, even though he says over there that it's okay if you fill in Hashem's name, you write it over again, and you have the right intentions. Akan like Am Rabbi Yehuda ella bechada azkara. He only says that in regard to where you have one name of Hashem. Aval dekule sefer Torah loy. But if the entire Torah is written with names of God that were not written correctly, you can't fix that anymore. Mishum the mercy kemenumer because the whole thing looks like something that was written incorrectly, and legitimately so. Now, the Gemara continues, There was a certain person that came in front of Rabbi Avo, and he said, The Torah that I wrote for so-and-so, I did not make, I didn't process them with the right intention in mind when I was making the, the parchment. So he says, who has the Torah, the Torah right now? I already sold it to the one. I already gave it. It's already given over to the hand of the one who's buying it. Since you're believed to lose your schar, to lose your payment, meaning since you haven't been paid yet, so you're believed that uh, you're going to lose your whole salary for this. So you believe that the Torah is not kosher. Why is it different than the case of Rabbi Ami where he said you're not believed? Over there we can say, says Rashi, that when a person comes and says that I didn't write the names of God correctly. So we can say the guy's just trying to make trouble and he thinks, like Rabbi Yirmiya, that all he's going to lose is the payment for Hashem's name. So therefore he thinks to himself, okay, I'm going to just, I, I want to make trouble here. So I'm going to, I'll take the loss of the names of Hashem, which isn't like the entire Torah. Hacha, however, in the case where he says that I didn't make the parchments with the right intentions in mind, Kevin the Kamafsi Kule Igre, since he's going to lose all of his money as far as he's concerned, Va'asa, and nevertheless he came, Va'amar, and he told us, Emer Kushla Kamar, so we can assume that in fact he is indeed telling the truth.